They said, tell us in 30 words or less how to become a success. And I said to them, I'll tell you in eight words or less. Find a mentor and do what he or she says. That's it. That's all you got to do. The stories we tell ourselves as people, as teams, as organizations, you know, they often get in the way of the changes we want to make in the world. We actually need to propel our stories forward, not hold us back. This is Unstop the Story, where we're looking at how amazing people and companies are being resilient, flexible, brave, and daring in the face of an ever-changing landscape. And we'll talk about how you can do it too. Hello, and welcome to Unstop the Story with Unstoppable Tracy. This week is an invite to Grab life like you mean it. Sometimes we don't know how and we choose not to carry on and we choose not to handle that challenging situation that maybe has us freeze in the moment of that conversation. And in the case where people are feeling uncertain, like in this story, sometimes all it takes is an invite or permission to grab it like you mean it. So are you having the worst odds? I recall one funny example of having the worst odds with a well-intended, loving, bobsledded team who had met me to assist one day when I went to the bobsledding place. And I know, like, sidebar, you might be wondering, how come bobsledding? You might be asking. And at the end of the presentation, people often ask me, what's next, right? They hear about climbing and first four-way amputee to do so and first four-way amputee to ski downhill and first four-way amputee to sail and all these different bits and pieces. And they're like, after hearing all that I've done, they say, what's next? And I used to sort of joke and say, bobsledding. So of course I had to go make it happen. So before I knew it, one day I'm standing outside this shopping mall at 8 a.m. waiting to be picked up. And of course, somehow something went awry and I wasn't collected until 11 p.m. I waited the whole time at the mall with very little communication about what was up. And it never crossed my mind that they weren't going to show up. Now, time was tight because we needed to be at the bobsledding's location at 8 a.m. the next morning. And it was like a 12-hour drive. So we rolled in at 9.03 a.m. And so the people were waiting for us. And right when we got there, you know, the minivan door opened up and all the night's sort of debris of the all-nighter drive all kind of fell out of the door when the minivan was opened. And there was cans and food wrappers on the ground and kind of ignoring the mess very politely. This guy named Charles introduces himself and he says, oh, can I take you up the hill? So because we're in a rush and we just arrived, I'm just like, okay, he's in a suit. He's kind of got this transportation. So it makes sense. So off I go. And at this point, I have no idea that I'm supposed to check in and that my friends have no idea that I've gone with this Charles guy. And of course, I assume they'd all arranged for Charles to drive me up the hill. So I get in Charles's car and he drives me up the hill. And unbeknownst to me, 
Charles is just some kind Samaritan who, when the van opened, he sees me with a disability and he offered to escort me up the hill. So when I arrived at the top, everyone is kind of unprepared for my arrival because I haven't checked in or registered or signed any waivers. And I'm just there. And there hasn't been any communication of my advance of uh, my arrival, right? So we climb out of his car and there are four steps. And at the top of the four steps are these four men standing there looking down on me. And I'm at the bottom step. I'm wearing three-quarter capris, so you can see that I've got artificial legs, and you can tell that I'm missing my hands. And these four men, all three of them, are missing some teeth. So we've all got things missing, and they're looking at me wondering what's going on. And I'm looking up at them with their lumberjack shirts and ripped pants, and I'm kind of wondering in what capacity they work for the bobsledding company. Well, they're all very uncomfortable. And they're looking at me with their eyes like huge, like saucers, not knowing what to do. So I just sort of progress forward and I put my hand, my right finger, I have, I'm missing both my hands, but I have a right side that's longer than a left side. And I put that on the railing and I go to lift up my prosthetic leg up to the first step. And the three lumberjack fellas, they all go, <gasps> And it was so funny, right? Just because I lifted my leg. So now I know that these guys are feeling really uncertain and they're not sure what to do with me. And I'm feeling really uncertain because I don't know if they're the right people. And I'm already scared about doing the bobsledding, right? So the reality is, if I'm going to progress forward, whether I'm scared or not, I need to make them feel more comfortable now. Otherwise it might not happen, right? If they're scared of me lifting a leg on a stair with a railing, what kind of confidence are they going to have putting me in this bobsled? So for their sake, I ask them to give me a hand just to get them more engaged. So can you give me a hand? And three of the guys, they turn to the slimmest fella standing on the end. You know, I felt like I was watching a Charlie Chaplin movie. And they simultaneously, all of their heads, all three of them turn. And it was really funny as they all turned to the guy on the end. And the guy everyone's now looking at, you know, doesn't say a word. And he just looks at them and he realizes, you know, there's nobody left to look at beside him. So he gives them a nod, like, okay. And they step backwards, like away from the scene. They step away from the stairs because he did the nod. So he steps forwards and he's kind of unsure how to help me. I clarify and I say, so will you take my arm? And I'm handing him my short left stump because I've got my longer right side on the railing. And he hesitantly extends his arm over, still standing on the top step, leaning over. And I'm standing on the bottom step. And his fingers that are extended out just barely touch under the end of that one arm and, you know, kind of like a princess with fingers delicately, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 grab it like you mean it, meaning my left arm. Well, that seemed to break the tension because all the uncomfortable atmosphere was there. Everybody, the four of them, they all burst out laughing. 
So now the guy feeling uncomfortable, you know, laughingly, firmly grabs my arm, which was helpful. And he feels engaged and I clamber up the steps. So when I get to the top of the stairs with the ice broken, unexpectedly, each of the three remaining guys waiting there, they're all now enthusiastic to help because they've been laughing. And so they all just jump in and grab a limb. So each one is pulling a different limb. One guy on one leg, another guy on the other leg. The one that had my left arm keeps hold of it. And the other guy grabs my right arm that was longer. Well, they're all carrying my four different limbs in different directions. And they just start sort of clamoring and walking over to the bobsled completely out of sync. So as I'm bobbing up and down between the four of them, my legs are starting to lose suction and starting to fall off. Now, I'll tell you right away, luckily the legs didn't. But once we walked to the bobsled track, they've got me splayed out like a starfish hovering in the air over the top of the bobsled. They couldn't figure out which limbs to let go of first. So I teasingly suggest, I think we need to put my legs down first before my head and my arms. And so then we all laughed again. And we had so much fun by now. And they all wanted to go with me in the bobsled. So typically there's one companion, but they all decided they all wanted to jump in with me. So now there's me and all of them, all four of us squished in together. And one poor soul's left behind because there's only room for the four of us squished in. Now, I appreciate that they were all well-intended. You know, however, you know, they were all kind of overhelping and overcompensating. And no one asked me how to help. A simple start with a hello is an easy way to see the person first. Now, I had the most incredible time of my life. It was a phenomenal minute. It was over in no time because it is bobsled. And it was amazing and it was wonderful. And every day I'm reminded to exceed uncertainty and to take risks. It's so important that all of us take risks. And the biggest risk of all is not taking the risk and missing the opportunity, you know? By taking that risk and not missing the opportunity, I get to live and show others how to see in me and how everyone else as a person first. If you're in a pickle with a difficult customer or person or family dynamic or neighbor or situation, take a millisecond of a moment to regroup, stop, reframe, and then act. You know, when people see you as the whole person first, there's less room for judgment. And kind of imagine what it's like in their shoes. Where are they coming from? Sometimes I carry a Q-tip in my pocket, like when I'm dealing with union negotiations and mergers. I have a Q-tip in my blazer pocket, and it stands for Q-T-I-P. Quit taking it personally, because that's how it goes in some of these tense situations. So instead... How can you help others be acknowledged for what they're feeling? And when you acknowledge those feelings, it de-escalates the whole scenario. Just listening is sometimes the biggest gift. You know, in the opener, I had said, sometimes when we don't know how, we choose not to carry on. 
and we choose not to handle the challenging situation. And in the case of people feeling uncertain, like my bobsled friends, sometimes all it takes is that invite or that permission to grab it like they mean it. Leaders do not stop at knowing there's an obstacle or barrier or no, right? Leaders do everything in their power to know the why and then figure out the how. Successful people, leaders included, know that every endeavor has its own challenges. And then they're able to rise above it, even leverage them. So handling challenging situations, especially in a heated moment, boils down to seeing that person you're facing first. You know, in the case of teams or groups, seeing the people first. So like in a merger or a union negotiation. So if you're a leader or a human being, a parent, interacting with others, I encourage you to do this. When you're in times of confusion or fear or a heated moment of difficulty, stop, you know, for a millisecond, become self-aware. You know, for example, take a deep breath and reframe. Put yourself in their shoes. Seek first to understand before being understood. What you focus on grows. Have that appreciative inquiry of a conversation that generates that productive conversation. Appreciate, grateful for, inquire, find the facts, ask the questions, and counteroffer possibilities. That's the reframe. Stop, reframe, and take action. My next guest knows all about taking action. As an opener for Tony Robbins, most frequent opener, and in the top 20 in the world highest paid speakers who has generated over $200 million. He is my Black Card Books publisher who turned me into a bestseller. And he is a phenomenal heartfelt storyteller himself. And you'll see this, his wonderful stories that he shares with us right after this short message. And he's going to be driving us to grab life like you mean it. And he's going to, you know, that's my saying, grab life like you mean it. And what he says is, don't die with the music in you. He says, never hang your dreams up in the closet. And you'll hear how in just a moment. Tracy will be back in just a moment to share her extremely exciting conversation with Jerry Roberts. My name is Megan Doherty, and I've had the pleasure of working with Unstoppable Tracy to co-create Unstop the Story, which you're listening to now. One Stone Creative is a podcast and online course creation agency, and we love to help plan, build, and distribute podcasts that tell important stories while working towards key business objectives. We especially love working with authors like Unstoppable Tracy and have a special book-to-podcast program designed to help nonfiction authors transform their books into valuable multimedia podcasts. If you have a book or a story and you want to bring it to the world in a new format, find us at onestonecreative.net. That's O-N-E, stonecreative.net. Now, here are Tracy and Jerry. Hello, folks. Welcome to Unstop the Story. I am beyond belief that I have a massive mentor in my life 
because he has generously agreed. Jerry Roberts, he is my publisher from Black Card Books, who turned me into a bestseller, not only on Amazon, but in Canada with a hard copy book, and turned me from somebody who was making $10,000 a year to 10 times that. And then I doubled that again the year after, thanks to this magical soul. And he regularly opens for Tony Robbins. He himself, I believe, has made well over 200 million, I think was the number. And he's going to tap in to let me know that. And I am just wanting to get right to Jerry and start asking him some questions. Jerry, welcome to Unstop the Story. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Tracy. Unstoppable, Tracy. Anytime you call, I'm here, man. This is great. I normally don't do podcasts anymore. No. In fact, this is the only one I've done this year. In 2020. I, <gasps> I think it's the only one I've done in the last 10 years. Wow. I don't, I, I don't do podcasts. I don't have one myself. I'm just too busy, but you've got such a message that I resonate with and uh, I'm happy to be here. You, and you agreed. You're really making a difference. So I want to help in any way I can. Oh, we have known each other about three years and I was like, I think one of the first people in your room to jump up and say, yes, I want you to be my black diamond approach to publishing a book. And it skyrocketed me right away. And so Jerry, I know my story, but my listeners don't know your story. What's a real big challenge or story that you had to stop before you became, went from poverty to this breakthrough millionaire? I think one of the things that happened was uh, I met a mentor one time about mm -hmm. 30 years ago, and he asked me one question and made two statements. His question to me was, how much is the most amount of money you've ever made in a single year? I really didn't like tell, talking about that because we don't talk about money. And, but I had had the best year I'd ever had the year before. I'd made $100,000. I was happy with that. I thought it was yeah. fantastic. I was in my 20s, and we were in a, in, in a, in a recession. And so I told him sort of, arrogantly that I had made a hundred thousand. And then he made the first of two statements. His first statement to me was that's garbage. And I thought, what? And he said, it's garbage for you to make that much in a year. If you can make that much in a month, in a friggin' month, shut up. I thought you know, <laughs> I was like a dog to make a hundred grand in a year. And he's <sighs> telling me I can make it in a month. I just, uh, no, no. And when anybody shared an idea that seemed absurd to me, I would challenge it. And so I started arguing with this guy. I started telling him every reason in the world why I could never earn a hundred thousand in a month. Mm -hmm. I was young. I was in my twenties. I thought you had to be much older. I told him that uh, I was broke. <laughs> <laughs> even though, and this is funny, even though I was making a hundred, it was costing me 125 to get it. So I was living on credit cards and I thought you had to have money to make money. Yes. I told him that I grew up in poverty. My family grew up in uh, government-assisted homes. My parents couldn't even provide the basics of life, like food and shelter, without government assistance. Uh -huh. And uh, everybody in my family, my cousins, my uncles, my dad, my brothers, were all alcoholics, drug addicts, and criminals. And that's exactly where I was heading as a teenager when, on September 6, 1977, 43 years ago, I left that life and got on this road of success. And now, 15 years later, this knucklehead's telling me I can make He's calling my income garbage. So then as I'm telling him all these reasons why I could never do it, he looked me right in the eye and he said to me, you are a jerk. <laughs> and if somebody calls your income garbage and you a jerk in the first five minutes of meeting them, let me tell you something. It's either going to be a pretty brief meeting or I thought to myself, 
what if he's right? What if it was possible to make every, not even every month, just one month. And he said that he didn't mean to be disrespectful, but he had been making that kind of money and more for over 25 years every month. And he says, he told me that his story was every bit as sad as mine in terms of upbringing. And yet he was doing it. And he said, you're not even entertaining the idea. You're totally closed because it was outside of my little box. You know, it was outside of my little mind. And he said, anybody who would summarily dismiss an idea without really thinking about it, that person isn't awake. And my purpose in life is to wake people up. It woke me up, you know, because I didn't believe I could ever make that much in a month, but I could see he did. Yeah. And I just said, man, I knew I was destined for more than this. I knew it. I just needed somebody to believe in me. I need somebody to kick my ass. I need somebody to tell me the truth. I need somebody to give me a path to run on. And I just said, man, if you're willing to help me, I'll do anything. And I wasn't going to be like all these people who go to seminars and listen to podcasts and oh, thousands of hours of listening and not do anything. I said, if you tell me to do something, I'm going to freaking do it. And I did it. And it was the toughest year of my life. I had to let go of friends, I had to let go of concepts. I mean, moving out of your comfort zone, you know this. I mean, it's so challenging to, you know, go into uncertain times, you know, to try and do something you've never done. It required me to invest in myself, you know, spend money I didn't have to fix me. Yes. And I did. And man, oh man, it happened so fast and so furious, Tracy. You wouldn't believe it. I started making every month within about a year, a year and a half. I started making every month what I used to make every year. And subsequently, I've made a million in a month. I've done it in a week. I've done it in a day. And on, on several speeches, I've made that much. And I'm not really telling you this to brag. I, no. And I think you relate to this. And, yeah. and I'm sure your listeners do that, that I'm the guy who got kicked out of school when I was 15. I grew up with alcoholic parents and I just knew I was destined for more. And uh, so today, I think that's why I resonate so much with you is because yeah. people, people need to hear that if they don't quit, if they find a mentor. And in fact, I was interviewed recently on Australian radio station and they said, tell us in 30 words or less how to become a success. And I said to them, I'll tell you in eight words or less, find a mentor and do what he or she says. That's it. Yeah. That's all you got to do. In my case, shaved decades off my learning curve. And uh, that's why having mentors, you know, that guy who turned my life around in on September 6th, 1977 is still my mentor today. He's 83 years old. I speak to him every week. He routinely still kicks my ass. I'm still learning from him. And so I think mentors are the key, but then also getting out of your own way, you know? Yes. Our stories are so similar. I remember listening to you and wondering who the heck you were and then a little bit of tough love. And, and now when I do testimonies, I'm like, just do what he says, because that's also why I had such an exponential year, but I worked the hardest I've ever worked, even becoming an Olympian in getting the book out and doing all the things that you said to do. And it is, it is getting that mentor kick your butt. I'll tell you that some interesting things that happened when you came on board with Blackheart book and having me publish your book. February 3rd, 2017, when we met. (laughs) You just did stuff. Like, there's so many people who just listen. Yeah. 
you don't get rich listening to rich people. You get rich by doing. And so few, most people are going so slow and they're aiming so low. Yeah. It's mind blowing. And they use every excuse in the book, like COVID. Now you can't make money because of COVID. Shut up. Yeah. I've made over $250,000 in the last 10 days. Come on, shut up. Don't Ooh. tell me that. Nice. But I do, but so do our students. And so it's getting the right focus and acquiring knowledge is not everything it's cracked up to be. It's doing. Yep. Tony Robbins, as you said, I opened for him and I speak right before him. I mean, uh, phenomenal. I've done it in Asia and Australia and all over Canada and Europe. And, and he says it's 80% psychology and 20% strategy. Yeah. Now, I think it's right. I think today is one of the best times to ever make money. There's a great book. I don't know if you've ever read it, Trace. It's called Million Dollar Habits. Huh. Rankin is the guy's name, Robert Rankin. I haven't seen it for ages, but I remember underlining something in there. In the opening part of the book, he says, most people believe that the days of great wealth gathering has just ended. Always. Throughout history, people think, well, you know, if I was born in the 60s, if I just got into the software world, and then if I just got into the internet, if I bought Google stock, yeah. so they, they're always thinking that the best times are just behind us. Yeah. They're not. No. They're in front of us. Now, you got to have some good strategies, and that's where a mentor can really help. I mean, I've looked at your podcasts and the people you have on. I mean, you're giving people not just motivational psychobabble. No. I mean, of course, everybody needs yes. what, what you need is you need to know what are other people doing. And I'm thrilled. Probably one of the only reasons I'm here is because you're making a difference by giving people more than a story. Yeah, more than a story. That, it's that, the I mean, story and the actions to take. That's the thing is about action. It's about freaking doing something. Winning is so easy because most people are asleep. Yeah. Um, I came across Tracy. And I'll get them to you. And maybe if your listeners want to look at on the internet, I've got it as well. But some record, uh, very hard to find recordings by a guy named Dr. Kenneth McFarland. Have you heard of him? Kenneth McFarland. It rings a bell. He was one of the first sort of motivational speakers in the 1950s. Oh, nice. By far the best speaker I've ever heard. Oh. And influenced my speaking. Dr. Kenneth McFarland. And I found some old recordings of him and oh. I have them. I don't know if they're on my website or not, but maybe I'll send them to you. If you can get them to people who may want I them. will. I'll put them on your page. I'm going to create a Jerry awesome. Roberts page. Well, that's great. He said something very interesting. He said 2% of the population think 3% of the population think they think <laughs> and 95% of the population would rather die than think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would add to that. I think two percent act, three percent think they act. Yeah, ninety-five percent would rather die. Than oh act. my gosh, so true. Yeah, because you know where mine's going. I'm going to hang up, and I'm going to Google him and try to find these. And I'm going to harass you if I don't, because well, you said you send the link. I found five or six of his speeches. I hope I'm not breaking any copyright laws by sharing them. But listen, I'm this sure guy you love is, that. Well, he's passed on now, but. His speaking, if any of your listeners want to listen to a fabulous speaker, this guy. On top of me and on top of you. <laughs> <laughs>
He's the one who paved the path for us to share our stories. That's for sure. That's it. And this means a lot, folks, because Jerry may or may not be too humble to say, I believe you're in the top 10 or top 20 speakers of all time, or at least for the last 24 months. It's unbelievable. I mean, to know that just sharing your story, and I think that's maybe a little bit of a push for people listening. The knowledge business is very healthy. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and it's just people cashing in or helping get out their message and the wisdom. You know, just think of the wisdom of the people listening us to us today, Trace. I mean, just think of the amount of lessons that people have learned and how dearly they have paid to learn what's in yes. their head. Well, what if it was possible to do well and do good at the same time? That's yeah. why I'm thrilled about telling everybody that they should publish a book and yeah, your um, instant author program, right? Well, I mean, just think about it. My last book is called publish a book and grow rich. Yeah. And you know what, Tracy, for your listeners, if they want to get a copy of that, I'll give them all a copy. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so generous folks. Whoa, we need, I need that sound effect that you've got with the big yeah. applause. Yeah. <laughs> publish a book and grow rich, I think is a way for people to get in the knowledge industry and accelerate their path. I mean, yes. People could actually write a book. They get lots of credibility. They get a lot of authority. It becomes a salesperson for you. And the knowledge industry, you know, where you influence other people based on what you've been through, you can do well and do good at the same time, but it's not easy. That's where most people quit is they just give up. Yep. You were talking about how the podcast series is inspiration. Yes, but it's also tangible leadership development tools of sorts. And Just before you coming on, one of the big lessons after a story from bobsledding, uh, where these crazy fellas didn't know what the heck to do with me. It was very funny. And somebody came to help me. And next thing I know, there's four guys on one on each limb. And on my head, I was afraid that my legs were going to pop off. And then they would really be freaked out if my legs fell off in their hands. You know, it was ridiculous. It was so wacky. And the leadership development tool is just that stop, reframe, and act. And I think this kind of coaching framework was also developed out of many of my lessons, listening and reading and following you. And so where does that kind of methodology fit in with a story from you? You know, I think it's realizing that we've paid a price to learn what we've learned. Yeah, we sure have. And more than ever in history, People have access to information today, right? Podcasts, Google, people have access to information like never before, but never before in the history of the world are more people anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, in debt, depressed, suicidal, self-medicated than today, even though they have access to information. And so that's why, you know, I'm a strong proponent of you know, don't die with the music in you. I was going to write a book one time called The Elvis Syndrome, where it's tragic for people to think of the lessons that they've learned and that they're going to take that to the grave. When so many people today are looking for answers, answers. Yeah. Google has over 2 billion searches a day, man. People today are hurting. Yeah. And the things that you have been through and I have been through and the people listening today have been through can become a very instrumental in um, living their dreams. I tell people all the time, listen, go and act on what it is you've been through and 
let other people know, whether that's in the form of a book or in the form of a story or a blog or a podcast. I think that that's an important thing. But Trace, can I ask you one quick question? Anything. I just remembered my favorite Kenneth McFarlane story. It's going to take a few minutes, but would you mind if I shared it? I I would love it. I haven't shared it in years and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Oh, can I tell you the story he said? Please do. It'd be the perfect way to close out the podcast. This is one of the most moving stories that I've ever heard. And it fits perfectly right here. Let me share. Oh. So in a small little town in the United States, there it was a very tight community, but nothing was really gelling, you know, and that all changed when in this small community, a young boy named Tommy McReynolds started winning all the local, state, and even national basketball scoring records. <laughs> the, guy, the guy was phenomenal. And because he was so good, everybody in that little town would come on Friday nights and watch Tommy play because he was like the tiger. Was, and so everybody came. And it got the community into such a fever pitch of community, uh, togetherness, because every Friday, everybody, that they called this guy the rope. The rope. Because he roped the whole community in together. That was his nickname because Uh. he had such an effect on the community. He roped them all together. Well, Dr. McFarland told us on one of these recordings, and I got to get it to you, but he said one night he gets a call about three o'clock in the morning. And Tommy was killed in a car crash. He said, I couldn't. Oh, why Tommy out of everybody? It was unbelievable. I mean, everybody looked up to Tommy and he was taken from us. And he said, I rushed right over to their house. And he said, I get to the door. And he said, Papa McReynolds, the guy's father, greets me, obviously, with tears streaming down. And he hugged me. And, oh, he said it was just unbelievable and he said he took me up to the boy's bedroom and he said that for some reason I was looking in the closet and right there as he opened the closet Papa McReynolds opened the door and he said hey Dr. McFarland we have a saying down here that when we lose one of our youngins we hang our dreams in the closet and he said that just doesn't sound right Papa McReynolds and he said the man got stern and he looked at me and he said you must love me or you wouldn't be here at three in the morning. He said, but Tommy's not going to school tomorrow. He said, he's not going to be here at Christmas. There'll be no more birthdays. He said, I'm hanging my dreams in this closet. And he said, right then, Tommy's younger brother, Lance, came in, Lance. And he was just a young boy. And he he said, I I didn't know what else to say. So he heard the whole exchange. And so he said, I just turned to Tommy. And I said, Tommy, you're not going to hang your dreams in the closet, are you, son? And the kid said, he got just as stern as his father. And he said, no, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, he said, I left and uh, that was that. And he said, several years later, he said, I was invited back to speak before the final game, basketball game in that city for the championship. It was against the crosstown rivals. Mm. And he said, I delivered a speech. We all went to the uh, arena and we watched our team play the most significant basketball game he's ever seen in his life. He said, (sighs) it was incredible. Why? Because all 
of Tommy McReynolds, the rope. All of his records were broken in this game. And he said, oh, we were just beside ourselves. Then the problem was it was almost over. And the thing was about to end, but we were going to lose by one point. It was 51 to 50 against our crosstown rivals. We hated those people. And he said, but at the last minute, as the gun is about to go off, a kid breaks through the crowd and shoots the winning basket just as the gun went off. And we won. He said, man, it was jubilation time. Yeah. Everybody went down to the center court. He said, people were loving. People were hugging and kissing and all this. Everybody was, he said, now some people were taking advantage of that down there, but. (laughs) And then Papa McReynolds came to me. And once again, with tears streaming down his face, he grabbed my shoulders and he said, I guess you were right. We should never hang our dreams in the closet. Why? Because the guy who had broken every one of Tommy's records and shot the winning basket was Little Lamb, his younger brother. And so I think my story, your story, Mm. and probably the story of many people listening to us, to the world is never hang your dreams in the closet. Not good? Jerry, I see why your hair was standing up because now the hair on my arms are standing up. This is a podcast, so they can't see it. But oh my gosh. I haven't told that story for years. (gasps) But I got that from Dr. Kenneth McFarland. So it's a beautiful story. But folks, anybody that wants to be a storyteller or trying to create meaningful impact, I would re-listen to this podcast over and over and digest and break out what did Jerry do in the telling of that story? Because even the climax and the flow and the length, and, and it's like one minute to spare. It's like unbelievable. You are magical. So how do people that are ready to not hang up their dreams and write that book that they didn't think before this podcast they could do, but now they know they must do. How do people find you, Jerry, for speaking, for book writing? How do they reach out? So my website is jerryrobert.com. It's G, not J, G -G E-R-R-Y. G for great. Yep. Jerry at Jerry Robert and Robert has no S jerryrobert.com. And so I'm constantly doing boot camps and the, you know, nobody has helped more people publish books than I have. No, we have thousands and thousands of people. Over 3 million people have attended our events. And a lot of the top speakers today are my clients. Many of those books I published myself, their books. Yep. Like um, me. Yep. And so if people want to publish a book, I think, and also because it's you, I'll get them a copy of my latest book, Publish a Book and Grow Rich. Wow. A downloadable version of that. And all they got to do is uh, go to my website or send an email or contact you somehow on the Yes, and I'll facilitate it. Yeah, make it happen. You have been generous with me the entire time since day one when we met. Thank you for joining me on this podcast, folks. Welcome to Unstop the Story with Jerry Robert. He is so magnificent. We just need one Jerry Robert. And he's so great. It's G for jerryrobert.com. Thank you for listening to Unstop the Story. And thank you for joining me today, Jerry Robert. My pleasure. It's been a riot. Have a wonderful day. Unstoppable day. Take care, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show? 
I'd love if you could share it with someone you think will find it valuable or inspiring. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to see a live and unedited version of this full interview, you can. Subscribe for all access at unstoppabletracy.com slash interviews, and you'll gain instant access to the whole catalog for free.